Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. Hope you're okay on Wednesday, May the 19th. Now, you may have noticed there's been a fair bit of confusion this week about where we can travel abroad on holiday. As part of COVID restrictions easing on Monday, the government brought out a traffic-like system with countries either on the green, amber or red list. Seems pretty straightforward so far. However, despite the Prime Minister warning us not to go on holiday to countries on the amber or red list, a Cabinet Minister has said we can as long as we quarantine after getting back home. Well, Boris Johnson has tried to clear things up at PMQs today. You should not be going to an amber list country except for some extreme circumstances such as the the serious illness of a family member. You should not be going to an ambulance country on holiday. But Labour leader Keir Starmer has accused the government of giving out mixed messages. A government health minister said nobody should travel outside Britain this year. The Prime Minister said that travel to amber countries should only be where it's essential. By the evening, the Welsh Secretary suggested some people might think a holiday is essential. To add to the confusion further, European Union ambassadors have agreed to back plans to let UK tourists visit without the need to quarantine if they're fully vaccinated from coronavirus. It now needs to be signed off by member states. Well, let's get the view of a Kent travel agent. Chris Scoble is from Go Scoble in Tunbridge Wells. He's been chatting to Joe from our colleagues at KMTV. If you're on a green list, um, I think it's quite straightforward, really. You need a PCR test clear on the way here fill in your passenger locator form and, you know, obviously one for when you come back. So um, green list's good. Um, There's not many people on the green list. That's our problem, isn't it? Uh, Amber is a little bit more complicated and actually really mixed signals. And you mentioned the Amber countries there. As I understand it, you have to quarantine for at least five days and then you have to pay £95 for a test in order to release you, provided you test negative. Is that right? Firstly, yes, you, you're correct. The confusion we've got with, with Amber is whether we should be going on holiday or not. And it's a little bit confusing the way it's worded on the government website. So you need a clear PCR test. You'll need one on return, but you'll also need to isolate for the 10 days. But you can release yourself from isolation after five days back in the country with another clear test. Cost. Costs are coming down. There's lots of different country, uh, companies that are doing them now. But yes, it's definitely, you know, you're looking at three tests. You can buy three tests together. Some companies are doing that. Now, we're seeing lots of pictures of packed planes this morning. And I know for some people it has made them feel quite nervous being in that confined space uh, with no, you know, fresh air coming in. Do you feel comfortable going on a plane abroad at the moment? So we went, we went in September last year as a family and I felt totally safe. But look, it's, it's, personal, it's personal preference, opinion, how you feel about things. So um, I feel safe because I think I believe the information I'm given from the airlines, how the, you know, the air circulated in aircraft, you know, and I felt totally safe. But that's just me and it's not everybody, is it? And that's the thing. So how do you feel then about travelling abroad? You can comment on the podcast story or leave a message on our socials. And I'm delighted to say we can also now speak to Jay Hopkins from Folkestone and her mum Sheila from Canterbury, who are currently in Gibraltar, staying at the Rock Hotel. It's a country on the green list and they both jetted off from Heathrow Airport this morning. So firstly, Jay, what was it like to travel abroad again? 
really exciting. I, I mean, I just love travel and to have not been able to go on any of my usual mm. adventures for so long has been, um, I mean, it's hard for everyone, isn't it? We've had a, a, other problems as well as families as everyone has during all this time. And it just feels like a bit of normality getting back on a plane to the sunshine. It's lovely. I must say, I am rather envious of the sunshine that you've got there at the moment. Tell us a bit about the whole process then this morning, getting on the flight. What sort of things were different? We were at Heathrow and it was quite quiet and there were only um, shops and cafes open. We were in Terminal 5 and there were only shops and cafes open in the kind of bit that you enter first, not out at the, the gate. We had got tested um, on fire video testing the day before so that we'd done one of the kind of lateral flow tests um, because I had read that we needed that to leave the country. In actual fact, it turned out that we didn't need that, but that was one of the many things that changed in the couple of days in the run-up to, um, to leaving, wasn't it? And we just didn't want to get caught out and not have the right thing. So um, we, we have ended up having three tests in the course of 24 hours. We were visiting a, a relative in a nursing home, so we had to have done our NHS tests to go in to do that yesterday. And then we also did this video online fit to travel type test. And then when we arrived in Gibraltar, um, we were sent off to some sort of white porter cabins outside the airport. And we someone physically put a thing up our nose and we were tested here as well and got a, te a text within half an hour telling us we were negative. So we're three times negative. We're definitely negative. As you mentioned, you absolutely love travel. Have you kind of been on countdown until you can get away again? Or was there any sense of being slightly anxious about going abroad? Um, I don't, I, I didn't have any sense of being anxious. By the time we were here, it felt like there'd been so many steps and we had abided by every guideline that we could possibly think of. Mum's twice vaccinated and, and well past that, I've been vaccinated once. Um, we, we, because we visit a care home, we test ourselves twice a week. I've got kids at home, but they're at school, so they're testing twice a week as well. Um, we're all used to wearing masks. We got very clear instructions from British Airways about the differences that there would be on the flight compared to normal. Um, and we know that Gibraltar is completely COVID free. I just feel like I should touch wood when I say that, but it, you know. It's, I think it's, everybody over 18 on Gibraltar has already been vaccinated. Obviously, things here are starting to go back a, a bit back to, to normal, you know, and, and we are vaccinating a lot of people. But what was it like to step off of that plane and know you're in a country that's COVID free? We've not known that for well over a year. Yeah, I hadn't really, didn't really, I didn't really think about it until the moment that we landed and I realised that it was completely COVID free. It is actually, you know, a very small place. It's only a population of 30 odd thousand, so it's like a small town actually, yeah. you know, but it happens to be a country. Yeah, so it's very contained with its borders, I guess, you know, they've managed to contain it really well and do a good job with the vaccination and, and keeping it out. So, yeah, fingers crossed that bringing us tourists back in here brings back some you know money I know Gibraltar is very dependent on tourism hopefully it brings back some some uh, tourist dollars but doesn't bring back the nasty bugs with it. In Kent the overall Covid infection rate has dropped below 10 per 100,000 people for the first time since last September. 168 cases were recorded in the week to last Thursday that's down by about a quarter compared to the previous seven days. It comes as the vaccine is rolled out to more people in their late 30s this week but 
Dr. Jack Jacobs is a GP in Ashford. I would encourage everyone, obviously, to take up the offer of a jab. Just bear in mind, at the same time as offering these new jabs, we're also having to do some of the second doses. Hang on in there. If you can't get an immediate appointment, don't be dismayed. Stick with it. We'll get there eventually. Kent Online News. Other top stories today, and a Medway GP who faked a patient's records to cover up failing to refer them for cancer treatment has been struck off the medical register. A tribunal found Dr Adilia Abdul Rahim had deliberately made changes to notes which included symptoms of lung cancer after seeing them at Church View Surgery in Raynham in January 2018. They were then diagnosed with the disease seven months later. Kent police say they've made a number of changes following the death of a teenager in Tunbridge Wells. 17-year-old Matthew McKell called 999 for help and asked to be picked up before taking his own life at Dunallan Park in May last year. Bosses have told an inquest they didn't send a patrol because the location details were too limited, but have admitted more could have been done to find him. Staff are also going to be given more training sessions about mental health. People who own flats in a high-rise block in May say they've been left in limbo following fire safety concerns after the Grenfell Tower tragedy. Leaseholders at Miller Heights in Lower Stone Street are unable to sell as they wait to hear whether the government will pay for urgent repairs. It's one of many buildings across the country caught up in the cladding scandal. An MP, Helen Grant, says she's deeply concerned about delays to the work. There are calls for Eurostar to say exactly when they plan to start running services from Kent again. Yesterday, we told you the cross-channel rail operator had secured its future thanks to a £250 million rescue deal. Well, trains haven't stopped at Ebbsfleet or Ashford for some time now, and they're not due to again until 2022. But Ashford MP Damien Green is pleased they've survived. I think it's good news. I do think it's it's great news. What would be great news would, would be if they got this and also said we are restarting our Kent services on a specific date. But it's good news because it, it means it's obviously much more likely that Eurostar will, will come back into full operation. Eurostar is committed to uh, running services from Ashford and indeed Ebbsfleet. Uh, and I would much rather you know, deal with them than some new operator would come in under new terms and conditions. So, so this is a good day. I've already you know, exchanged emails with the chief executive. I'll be speaking to him uh, over the next few days to try and uh, reaffirm you know, the commitment. I, I know they want to uh, resume services from Ashford, and uh, I accept that they say that there's, it's not going to be commercially viable until uh, next year. But obviously, I, I want to get some, some firm commitment on that. Kent Online reports. A truck linked to fly tipping across Kent has been seized and destroyed. At Kent Online and on our socials, you can see a video of the vehicle being crushed after it was seized by the Environment Agency near Iwate, which is not far from Sittingbourne. It's thought to belong to an organised group who've been dumping waste illegally at commercial properties in the county. Experts reckon this month could be one of the wettest Mays on the record. The Kent village of Goudhurst recorded the heaviest rain in the country yesterday, 16 million millimetres fell. More heavy downpours and strong winds are forecast for the rest of the week. And in fact, a yellow alert for strong winds is due to come into force from 6pm tomorrow and will last until Friday evening. 
The wet weather is expected to continue and the Met Office say there could be some travel disruption. Now, if you're planning to use the trains in Kent over the late Maybank holiday weekend, you're being urged to check first. That's because railway improvement works are expected to affect services between Ashford and Canterbury, Strood and Paddockwood and also in Thanet. Replacement buses will be running instead. Dreamland have announced which eight rides are going to reopen this summer, but sadly, one of them isn't the iconic scenic railway roller coaster. The Waltzer, Scrambler Twist, and Gallopers will be joined by the newly restored Ghost Train, along with the Toy Town Carousel and Austin Cars, the Rocking Tug and Giant Dodgem Track. They'll be up and running from July, but bosses say it didn't make financial sense to open them all. And finally, today, incredible research carried out in Kent has revealed for the first time what happened to a prayer book belonging to Anne Boleyn after her death. The Book of Hours is on display at her family home, Hever Castle, and it's thought to have been handed to one of her ladies when she was executed. Exactly 485 years later, ultraviolet light has been used to identify never-before-seen names and words hidden in the pages. I've been chatting to Kate McCaffrey, who spent nearly a year studying it. From the inscriptions that I uncovered in Anne's book, um, it seems uh, the most likely connection seems to be to a woman uh, named Elizabeth Hill, who was, uh, who grew up just eight miles from Hever. So she grew up in Sundridge in Kent. Um, and she was at court at the same time as Anne. She was married to the Sergeant of the King's Cellar. Uh, and, and she seems a very likely connection because her mother is one of the people who wrote in the book after Anne. Um, and then this book seems to have been passed from Elizabeth Hill to her mother, then to her sister and her brother and then to their niece. And so it seems to have kind of stayed very much within this kind of trusted uh, circle of, of select family members, all part of one extended family and all local to the Boleyns at Hever. And um, what was it, what sort of techniques were you able to use to, to delve even deeper into the books than we could actually do with the naked eye? Yes, I mean, I, I initially when I looked at them, it was just with the naked eye and I just saw these kind of uh, sort of smudges that almost seemed like they could be water damage. Um, but I was able to come back uh, with an ultraviolet light. First, it was just a little sort of cheap one I'd ordered online. Um, and then I came back with, I was able to borrow Canterbury Cathedral's UV light um, and came back with that much more industrial strength um, and viewed them under that and then was able to, to take photos of them and then use uh, photo editing software to try and clear the blur around the words. Um, and yeah, that's sort of, and then months of trying to decipher what they said um, is kind of the process that it took. And how important uh, is the work that you've done? As you say, this, is, this book has never been investigated before as much as you've done. I mean, does it kind of change much of, of the story or does, does it make it all a lot, lot clearer? I think, it's, I think it's really significant because it's new and it is rare to find new evidence or new information about this period of history and about this historical figure as famous as Anne is. Um, and I think it can offer some, some really fresh insights into her memory and her reputation um, in the years after her downfall, because obviously she was widely disgraced and dishonored um, by the king and, and by many people after her execution and during her downfall. And so I think this gives a real insight into a kind of covert circle that, that were cherishing Anne's memory despite the, her widespread dishonoring. Um, and also it significantly seems to be a group of primarily women. So four of five of the inscriptions within the book are written by women. 
And so it seems to be another kind of female community and a story of female bravery and solidarity uh, in keeping Anne's place in the book safe and keeping her, her notes safe and then adding their own. The fact that the book still exists and we can go and see it today is truly incredible. I mean, how proud do you think Kent should be of, of having such a treasure on display? Massively proud. I mean, it, it's, it's such a unique item, especially with this new information that we have about it. Um, and alongside Heaver's other book of ours, which is also written in and owned by Anne, the two of them, I think, are just absolute jewels of their collection. Um, and actually only three books of Anne's survive today with her notes inside of them. And two of them are here at Heaver and in Kent. So, so it's a huge, um, hugely important pieces of information. And Heaver Castle has reopened to visitors this week and the book is on display. Kent Online Sport. Cricket and Kent's Grant Stewart is going to play for Italy in a T20 World Cup qualifier. They'll take on Jersey, Germany and Denmark in Spain in October. The top two teams will go through to the final qualification round for the tournament, which will be played early next year. And in football, Stuart O'Keefe and Alex McDonald have signed new contracts at Gillingham. The midfielders joined the club in 2019 and last summer, respectively. Stuart says it made complete sense to stay at Priestfield, while Alex says he's looking forward to next season and seeing the fans. Well, that's all for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Plus, you can subscribe to the IM News app, which will give you access to all KM Group newspapers. Just head to subsaver.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.